This is Beyond the Uniform with TJ Brassel. Well, welcome back into another episode of Beyond the Uniform. I'm your host, TJ Brassel, and I'm joined today by four-time NCAA champion and the NCAA record holder in the women's 200-meter dash, Kyra Jefferson. Kyra, thank you for joining the show. Thank you for having me. And now, along with that record, when you set the time of 2202, your senior year, that time, at that time, you became the fourth American woman and ninth woman ever to run that time at the age of 20 or before the age of 23. Yes. So just in case people like weren't impressed enough, I just wanted to, you know, toss that in there. But let's go back to that race real quick, because it was kind of like a like a weird semi unconventional race where at the, the last like 10 meters, you were neck and neck with Oregon's Deja Stevens. And then I don't know exactly what happened, like if her knee gave out, if she tripped, if her mm-hmm. leg just buckled, whatever happened, she fell down and up on the ground and you crossed the finish line first and won. So what was like, what do you remember about that race? I remember literally having a panic attack the whole warm up. I was, I usually, I usually always have like little moments where I have anxiety, but this one took the cake because it was my last race really, you know, I don't count relays. And I remember my coach walking me. So the way Oregon was set up was, you know, the call room was like underneath the home side of the stadium. So I remember my coach walked me all the way in and they were like, coach, you can't stay down here. You can't stay down here. And I was like, please stay. Cause I'm, I'm passed out. I'm passed out. I'm nervous. Everybody looked fine. I'm hurting. I'm sleepy. I don't know. So we were, while we were back there having all this anxiety, something happened on the track during the 400 hurdles. And so I'm like, can we just go already? Like, I'm about to burst. Can we just please go? And then we walked out. And normally, you know, you have that extra time to get yourself together because we walk on the other side. Mm-hmm. And this time they started us at the finish line area. So I was like, um, so we got to go now. Like, we ready now. Okay. And so to paint the picture that year in Oregon, it was cold. It was hailing during warm up, and it looked sunny on TV, but I kid you not, it was like 50 degrees. So everybody was cold. Officials are like, come on, like take your stuff off. We're like, no, it's cold. <laughs> so I do my block start and I'm kind of just looking for my coach the whole time. Like, just please be over here. Please be over here. And then we kind of made a little eye contact and did the little, you got it. And so I just remember getting out the blocks and I thought I did great because I caught the girl, um, it was Gabby, Gabby Thomas, that she's an indoor NCAA mm-hmm. record holder. So I caught her and then I see Deja just running past me. And I was like, so did I not do good? <laughs> <laughs> did I not have the best start ever? Okay. And just before that race, Coach Holloway kind of was like, we have this thing that we've been saying since I was a sophomore. Like, it's gonna, we're gonna put our big girl panties on and we're gonna run. And I was like, okay, so I gotta find those big girl panties. I was like, cause right now I was a little defeated cause I was, con- I was consumed with the fact that I thought I had a great start and was in a good position. And then she just ran past me like I was walking. So I was like, oh, okay. Then just something, I couldn't even till this day tell you what it was. Something clicked and I was like, we're not going out like this. We can go out fighting, but we're not going out getting ran past like we're nothing. 
And just something in me just dug deep and I hit a gear that I didn't know I had. And I went to go challenge her, but I wasn't thinking about challenging her. I was thinking about, are we going too slow? We might be going too slow, so let's pick it up. And then when I was on the side of her, honestly, I just kept thinking like, oh, this is a race. This is a race. I don't know what else to call it. This is a race. And I didn't know that she fell. I only realized he fell when um, Jill told me after the race. All I knew was at some point we went from this to me passing her. So I had no idea, idea she fell. And so when people were like, well, what do you think about her falling? I was like, I didn't know. I didn't really know she fell genuinely. Cause Jill said, is Deja okay? And I was like, what happened? Like, huh? I don't know what happened. And I only realized what truly happened when we got on the plane to go home and they showed me the video of the race. Really? All I saw, cause all I, all I knew was, I don't know what happened, but I won. And I turned around and I already can't see. So I'm scooting. And I said, let's say 2202. That's when, that's that little scream. And then that little forehead pat that I do in the video. <laughs> I was like, Ooh, thank you, Jesus. Cause I just couldn't believe it. I, that's all I kept thinking about. That's crazy. Cause it, I was wondering like when someone running right next to you falls, like, does that throw you off? Do you, are you like, Oh my gosh, but you didn't even see that. That's wild. I, didn't, I thought it was merely, you know, when you're running a race and you just edge a person out, mm-hmm. I thought I just edged her out. I had no idea that she fell, like she hurt herself. Like, I didn't know any of that. And I was just like, Afterwards, I was like, because because like when Jill told me she fell, I didn't know the magnitude of it. So when mm-hmm. we were about to warm up for the four by four and we were both in a tent together, even my trainer was like, yeah, she felt bad. And I was like, she did. And then so I felt like there was animosity between me and her from that point on. There wasn't like at mm-hmm. all. But I felt like there was. I was like. I don't think I should say anything to her because that might be awkward. <laughs> and we were ironically on the same leg for the four by four after that. Oh my gosh. She in my place on that relay. I'm not, I'm going to admit it right here. She <laughs> my place. Did you guys ever like talk about that 200 race after? Actually, I don't think we ever did. I think like we just kind of acknowledged it as like it happened. Mm-hmm. And we, by the time we really had time, because we never really talked before that race, like we weren't like close friends or anything. And just when we got on the pro circuit, that's when we kind of start talking to each other, really. Mm-hmm. And we just don't bring it up. We just talk about everything else. <laughs> like, cause, like for me, the way I take it is, you know, I may have beat her that day, but then she beat me at USA. So now it's even like, so it's nothing to talk about. That's fair. That's fair. And when you mentioned that you kind of kicked it into that next gear in that race, like when you watch that video, you can see she she pulls in front of you and then probably, I want to say with maybe like 50 meters left, you just see you kind of hit another gear and pull right up next to her. Mm -hmm. Um, But so after that race, I mean, it's kind of madness, like not just with Deja falling, but like you just won an NCAA championship. And like you said, like it took a second for you to see the time. I don't know when, it, if it even clicked at that time, like that was an NCAA record. So at what point did the magnitude of everything you accomplished in that race finally hit you? Um, 
when I walked over to Coach Holloway on the other side, that's when it like really hit me. Cause I, I didn't, like I did the fake cry, you know, <laughs> oh, oh my God. But um, when I got to Coach Holloway and we even have a picture, I, I have to find it, but we have a picture where like, I hug him, he hugs me, and I'm, he's like, no ugly crying. Remember, the cameras are still following us. And I was just in his chest bawling because it was like that whole season. So some background story, I didn't compete indoor season like everybody else. So I was nervous by not having as many races as everyone else. I felt like I wasn't in shape. And by the time I got to nationals, my best time that season was 22-4. And I only ran that one time. So I was very nervous. And just the fact that it said, for me, I didn't see collegiate record. I didn't see 22-year-old, whatever record I I didn't see any of that. I saw you finally PR'd and you haven't ran since last June. Great job. Because I was, by regionals, I remember regionals crying, saying, like, I can't compete with them. And regionals, I ran 22-6, and I was like, that's not good enough. They're running 22 22-2. I, I was like, this is not going to – I can't compete. And I was – me and Coach Holloway till this day talk about how I was a hot mess at regionals. I made it to nationals, and I'm crying. And they like, what's wrong with you? But, yeah, that's why that moment just meant so much because of everything that led up to that and all of the doubt that I had in myself. Nobody else doubted me. I doubted me. And when I proved myself wrong that day, it just meant so much. And I feel like that's a really big thing in athletes. It's like everyone else can have all the belief in you, but if you don't have that belief, then like you kind of have to find a way to get over that in order to really accomplish what you can accomplish. Mm-hmm. So I was I was looking through Instagram not too long ago, and I saw an an old post from you, and this was a year a couple years ago, I think, and. The post was talking about 2016 and 2017, and then it talked. It said in 2017, it was talking about how, um, like you, you got hurt a little bit in that year, and like you were just saying, like you were struggling, and then you kind of turned things around, and you SEC champ, and then uh, NCAA champ, and then obviously the NCAA record. But and so like to the outside world looking in, like you're on top of the world, like you're no no one can touch you. But the mm-hmm. thing that really struck out to me in that post was you said. Off the track, my life was in shambles. Like, mm-hmm. what What did you mean by that? Well, in 2017, I had went through a breakup, literally January 2nd. Like, my year started off awful. And it was, I went through a breakup, and it was a really bad breakup for me, personally. Mm-hmm. And, you know, it was my last semester of school, and I had all the pressure of, well, I didn't compete last year at the trials. Well, I competed, but I didn't do well. So it's like I had a lot of pressure on me because not only am I a senior, I don't get two seasons to prove myself. I'm single now and sad. <laughs> and like school was going great, but then it's just like I felt like people didn't understand like that I had a lot on my like on my plate and they kind of were like you can do it, you can do it, you'll be fine. And so then I felt like if I don't do well, I'm disappointing Coach Holloway. I'm disappointing my parents, my friends, my family, my teammates. And I didn't feel like I was strong enough to handle all of that pressure. So when I say it was in shambles, I mean, I was pretty much sad, crying daily up until May. So from January to May, I was distraught. It just Everything was just weighing on me. 
And just the step that you're about to take to become a professional, it was just a lot. Because if I didn't become a professional, I didn't know what I was going to do. How were you able to overcome all that to finally let it click on the track and, and get to the point that you eventually got to? Well, I'm the type of person that my life, I, I joke about it, even though I really shouldn't, that I run better when my life is in shambles. <laughs> so, <laughs> because, um, I don't know, it's, it's been weird for me, like my whole life, when I am stressed out somewhere else, my sport, like track is my outlet. So if I had a rough time at home or I was struggling with class, I'd be like, I'm about to go to practice and then I'll run the best times I practice ever and then go back home and struggle. Like it's just, that was, that's just the way that I cope with things. So I took all of my anger and frustration and build up and I used it at the track. My only setback has ever been that I haven't been a hundred percent healthy. And because I haven't been a hundred percent healthy, it creates self doubt within myself. So 2017, I had a moment where I wasn't healthy and I was nervous because like I told you, I didn't have time to waste. I didn't have another year, but I told myself that we're not going to keep repeating the same things. So we're not going to wait for somebody to give us treatment. We're going to go out and seek treatment. We're going to go be aggressive with our rehab and we're going to be on the track for SECs. And so that's what I did. I didn't allow myself because I knew that if I took a track away from myself, if track got taken away, that I would just be, I don't know, a big blob, big big ball of mush somewhere. I don't know. I, was, I couldn't I couldn't risk losing track. Mm-hmm. And now in that in that same post, you, you even just touched on it a little bit. You talked about in 2016 how you got hurt, like had a rough season, then you you got to the Olympic trials and you made the semifinals, which amongst like any normal human is like an amazing accomplishment that you made the semifinals Olympic trials, but like where your goals are and what you want to accomplish, like for you, that, that wasn't the season that you wanted. And we're, so we're now four years removed and you've had a lot more experience under your belt. You've ran around the world. You've, you've been on those big stages. What are you taking going into now will be five years removed when you go into that trials? Like how are you approaching the trials now? I'm approaching it as just to just go for it. Stop trying to be strategic and stop trying to overanalyze and just go for it. Like I'm doing all the little things that I didn't do in 2016. So I'm sticking to what I know and then I'm staying away from what I know doesn't work. In 2016, I, I ran the hundred. I never run the hundred TJ ever. I ran the hundred at SECs and I got hurt. I let, and also back then my mental wasn't as strong. So I would get into a race with somebody who's faster than me and already accept that I'm probably going to get second and then end up getting fourth because I'm preparing to get second. Mm -hmm. So now I've made myself realize that I'm going to go into a race and I'm going to try to win. Now, if I fall short, I fall short, but I'm not going to go in already counting my place on the podium, like counting, like, okay, I'm probably get, I get third. Okay. Cause that's how I ran the rounds at Olympic trials in 2016. I said, okay, well my hamstring hurts, but if I get second in my heat, I can make it to this. And if I get top, okay, top two makes it. Okay. I'm gonna try to get this. I'm trying to get second. I know I can't get first. So I'm trying to get second. I think I ended up getting like fourth or fifth in my heat because I was really running to get second place. I didn't even run like I wanted to win. Mm-hmm. 
And so now it's just kind of reframing my mental to put myself in the game instead of taking myself out before the race even starts. And so, I mean, when you talk about like reframing that mental and, and that growth that you have, obviously that doesn't happen overnight. You don't just wake up one day and you're just like, ah, never mind. We're going to do it this way. Like, mm-hmm. how have you seen yourself grow since then? I challenge myself at practice. And the workouts at practice that I used to start off with a negative attitude, like, oh my God, we got this again. Like, I stopped doing that. I said, Kyra, shut up. Like, I'll tell myself, shut up. Get online. Come on. Even like the reps that hurt. And then I have a great training group now. Like we're so cohesive and we're just all so supportive of each other that we kind of bully each other into believing in ourselves. So it like pushed me instead of me just trying to do it all on my own. Because I'm definitely not doing it all on my own. Like I have Grant in my ear all the time. Like he doesn't let me be sorry. As much as I want to be a punk, I, he don't let me be a punk. Just like I don't let him be a punk. And that, that type of stuff, like incorporate it in the fall, because nothing is harder than fall season, like nothing. Fall training is the hardest thing ever. <laughs> so, incorporating it during the hardest thing ever helps it to when we get to a meet and when we have practice and we're running all out, I've already I've already beaten that like battle. I've already got over that hurdle of like doubting myself. I know I can do it. It's just a whether I'm going to do it this fast or this fast. I'm no longer ex- like telling myself I'm no longer accepting it being mediocre. So when you get to the trials, like, what do you need to do differently? And when I say that, I don't mean like, like, obviously run faster. It would be like a, a typical answer. But like, what in your mind do you need to do differently to be able to put yourself in a position to qual- to make one of those top three spots to get to Tokyo? To think about myself and not think about, okay, well, this person has been running this. So if I'm in their heat, then they're probably going to do this. Just focusing on... Um, the sports psychologist for USATF, he told me that when you come to the track, you have a job to do. And so if you focus on doing your job, you'll get done what you came to get done. So if I focus on how they're running or how they've been looking or what the heat before me did, then I'm not focusing on my job. My job isn't to control what everybody else's actions are. My job is to control me. And I've trained for this long. So if I do my job and execute the first 30, run off the turn, finish strong. And if I fall short, I can't, it's, it's, I can't say that I didn't do my best. But if I'm worried about everybody else but myself and I don't make it, knock on wood, then, you know, I have nobody else to blame. Because I'm training properly. I'm eating properly. I'm at the right weight. I'm strong. So it's all about you know, timing it right and just focusing on what I have to do. Now, you've been waiting four years for this opportunity. And well, it would have already come at this point. But <laughs> now you have to wait a whole extra year. It will be now five years to mm-hmm. get that chance again. What has that done to you, like physically and like training-wise physically and mentally, having to prepare to wait a whole another year to to have your opportunity? Um. I'll start with mentally. Mentally, I was very upset because I was like, this was the best I've ever been practicing. I was the fastest I've ever been, the strongest I've ever been. And I was kind of discouraged, like, come on, like, what am I going to do with all of this? Like, where am I supposed to put it? Like, (laughs) and, you know, and I was healthy, like nothing in my body hurt. And I was like, oh, we got to use this. We got to, you know, and 
for a while, like maybe like a week or two, I'll say, like when they first announced it, I was kind of like, wow, like let me just, it's no, it's no point in running. But then eventually people kept framing it. Like when they po- make their posts, they'll say, oh, I get more time to prepare. I get more time to prepare. And I'm like, I don't want more time. I was ready. <laughs> but eventually I was like, you know what? I get time to build confidence in myself. I get time to talk to myself nicely so that I know my physical's there, but let me get my my confidence up. Let me start looking at my old videos and reminding myself who I am. So by the time next year comes, there's not a doubt. Like this year, it probably would have been a doubt. Not a real one, but just, a, you know, a little, mm-hmm. a little smidgen of a doubt. But, you know. Now, if I build up and get myself together, there will be no doubts. I won't be worried about it. Everybody's on the same playing field. Physically, having another year allows me to get my eight pack that I want. So, <laughs> frame it better. Because <laughs> uh, I got a little six, you know, but I feel like if I get them, them last two at the bottom, I'm probably going to be unstopped. I'm trying to get a Shawnee stomach. Okay, <laughs> I'm trying to breathe and you don't even see nothing move. That's what I'm trying to get. So if you figure if you figure out a trick for that, let me know, because I, I, I would love to work on the same thing. I will. I think the one thing I do know, I had to cut out sugar. That's that's step one. Ooh, I don't know. I might not be getting that then. <laughs> no, you got to get some like um, some blue agave nectar. That's that's sugar, but it's not sugar. It's okay, okay, okay. It's like it's like honey, but it tastes like syrup. That's what you. That's how you got to fix it. But yeah, so like physically, it's kind of like I'm. I like tweaked some new stuff with my race model, so I get more time to master it versus trying to do it like how some of us do, and we our blocks get switched like a month before trials, and we kind of try to figure it out. I'm going to have a full year to figure it out, to get comfortable. So it's just about finding the silver lining in it because we can't do anything about it being changed. So Now, the Olympics are no stranger to your family. Your father was, your Thomas, Thomas Jefferson was a mm-hmm. uh, Olympian in the 200 in the 1984 Olympics. Mm-hmm. What kind of motivation does that give you at all? Not only that he was an Olympian, but an Olympian in the same event that you run. Um, everybody on USATF staff always is like, oh, you're, your dad's TJ, your dad. Like when I first started and I was just like, oh, stop talking about him. But like now, honestly, like I just be want to be better than him, mm-hmm. honestly, because he tells me, like, you know, long as you get a medal. And I'm like, yeah, but I want to get a better medal than you. So they're <laughs> not talking about you all day. Like, I don't want to be Thomas Jefferson's daughter. I want that to be, oh, he's Kyra Jefferson's dad. Like, I want that to be the statement and not just, you know, something that I say by myself. What kind of expectations do you, has that put on you throughout your career? Um, it hasn't really weighed on me. I didn't really grow up with my dad like mm-hmm. that. I was really closer with my mom. Mm-hmm. So I just kind of, like I said, I just try to be better than them. But it's like a, my own internal competition. Like if they talk a little loud, I let my mom know that, you know, she was never a collegiate record holder or, you know, if my dad's <laughs> a little slick in the mouth, you know, I have to let them know like, all right, but you never, you know, you ain't win this. You know, you don't run that. But I think the one thing that he has on me is that medal. 
he don't have nothing else on me. So it doesn't, it's not really pressure because mm -hmm. for them, like my parents are the type of parents, my stepdad included, like as long as I'm having fun, they're supportive. They're cool with it. If I get last place, for some reason, my mom finds a silver lining and it pisses me off because I'm like, no, I got dead last. Like, what do you mean I had a good block start? Like, who cares? <laughs> but that's just the way they are. Like, they've always been like that. They just always want me to be the best I can be, even if the best I can be isn't world record status, American record status. That's just the expectation I put on myself. But it's never been something that they put up, uh, like upon me. Now, when... Like, have you talked with your dad or, or even your mom about different stories of the Olympics or of him racing the Olympics? Or what kind of stories have you heard, if any? I actually never talked to my dad about the Olympics. My mom didn't make the Olympics. She did Olympic trials. Mm -hmm. My mom's career ended, like, at, at the trials. But my dad, we kind of, like, I think we were going to discuss Olympics when I got there. That was always kind of, like, the plan. Like, he's giving me Olympic trial stories. Because he comes to Olympic trials every time. Mm -hmm. He's giving me the trial stories. Like, okay, in the first round, this is what you do. And da -da 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 -da. I'm just like, okay. Like I, I like, I never like to let my parents know that I'm listening. I let them think that whatever they're saying is just pure nonsense. But then I go home and I'll be like, okay, so you said. <laughs> like, <laughs> that's the only time I am. So, you know, he hasn't given me Olympic Olympics tips. But he's giving me Olympic trials tips, and mm -hmm. you know, we're just kind of like taking it step by step. Yeah, you you you, you got to keep the, their ego in check. You can't let them know you're listening all the time. <laughs> My dad told me, "Oh, y'all don't practice on Saturdays. I go run a mile every Saturday." And I was like, "That's so stupid! Like, who wants <laughs> to do a mile? Like, that's so dumb." You're you're running a two hundred. <laughs> you don't need to do a mile. Seriously, I kid you not, TJ. I was on the phone with him, putting my shoes on, getting my watch. I'm like, that's dumb. Like, I don't think people should run a mile. Go run a mile. Came back. Like, yeah, whatever. Then he asked me, did you run that mile? Did you run a mile? I don't do that, Dad. Like, that's <laughs> But if it worked, it worked because I was super strong. And I was like, I mean, you might have had a point, but, you know. Just maybe. Just maybe. You know, no. Now you, I, although you haven't made an Olympic team yet, you've still run with that USA logo across your jersey. You've still been to Pan Ams. You've still represented uh, the U.S. at different events across the world. Even though it's not the Olympics yet, what did that that next step mean to you? Being able to represent your country against the the rest of the world. Um, I just think having a USA on your chest is like a it gives you literally like that Superman pose type of feeling because you come to the line and it's not ego. It's just, you come to the line. Like I have people who've been killing it before me. So it's just, it gives you a kind of, I can't let anybody down. I can't be mediocre. And so you literally like when you believe that of yourself, it shows on the track. So it's kind of like, I'm waiting for the day that I make, world champ world champs team and I make an Olympic team because the expectation is just to be great and I know that if I'm already carrying that it would just feel so good to just like actually be able to showcase my talents and not have that that doubt that I you know that I create because you can't have doubt but like, like when we go to Pan Ams nothing in me is like oh I might not make the final like nothing. 
Like, I, I'm just like, okay, well, how fast we gonna run? Like, that's a problem I want to have. How fast you gonna run? Mm-hmm. Not, I'm not gonna make the final. Making the final is not my standard. It never has been. It's like, okay, you're going to either run 21 today, you're going to run 21 tomorrow, or, you know, we'll wait to the final if that's what you're feeling. So that's- <laughs> and now I would be, so we were, we were talking about your dad being Olympian and stuff like that, but as you pointed out, I would be remiss to not mention talking about your mom. Not only was she an Olympian, she also was a All-American at LSU in track and field. So, I mean, in my mind, like, you combine a bronze medalist with a All-American equals collegiate record holder. Like, I feel like that makes sense. Yeah. But so like growing up, kind of having your family always being around track, like when did you start in track and field? I started when I was, I think I was six. But I only started because that's what like literally like the, the cliche, that's what all my friends were doing. So I just... I wanted to do it too. I was originally a swimmer. So like I'm I was the only one that could swim and I could swim like as equally well as I can run track. And I just my family was just a track family. Like my grandpa was a track coach and you know my mom ran track and it just it just felt like that was more normal and I felt like I'm just going to do this to you know so I can hang out with you guys I guess, you know. But it was I don't know, like I just Track just seemed like it always fit. Like it was in more, it was more, I was actually like very slow in the beginning. So I actually don't, didn't feel this way when I was like six up until I was like 12. <laughs> but <laughs> when I got older, I was just thinking like, wow, how could I not like track? Like it's just crazy to me. Now I've seen like going through sports through the years, I've seen kids who whose parents were very successful in their in their given sport when their kids doing that sport there's kind of like one or two ways parents handle it they're either like even if they're not the coach they still like think they're the coach and they're like this is how i did it this is this is how you should do it blah blah blah. or they just kind of sit back and they're like good job good game better luck next time blah 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 Mm -hmm. what was that dynamic like for you See, I thought my mom was the second one until i got older and realized that she was giving my coaches workouts (laughs) because because she knew that if if she told them told them workouts to me that I wouldn't listen I was like you're right because I would (laughs) yeah like even um let me see my dad when where was the meet what's the meet in North Carolina New Balance Mm. New Balance meet he came to one of them and he was trying to give me pointers and I was like stop talking to me leave me alone but then in the race, I low-key, you know, again, I said, let me <laughs> see what he talking about. But yeah, like my parents have been like, they're kind of like behind the scenes parents that coach me and give me tips. Like they might send it through somebody else because mm-hmm. they know I'll receive it better from somebody else. Because I was a brat and I had an attitude problem when I was younger. They did the right thing. Like whatever they did, they knew they did the right thing because I definitely listened to other people. So that's good. See, it seems like they know you, they knew you pretty well. Then. I, I think my mom probably tried like and even in high school, she tried to give me a coaching tip and I just looked at her. It's like, no, I'm not doing that. And then my coach, which is my goddad, he said the same thing. And I was like, all right, you said get on the line and do what? Okay. <laughs> and it, it wasn't on purpose. It was just like coming from your parents, even in college, my mom used to give me tips and tell me to do your, she, my mom's been telling me to do abs every night for the past six years. 
every time I go to rehab or I get prehab, they're like, have you been doing your core? As if my mom <laughs> hasn't been telling me this for six, seven years. So it's just like, whenever they say it, I'm just like, no, I'm sorry. I'll do it. And see, and now you'll get that eight pack and you'll be good to go. Exactly. If I would have listened to my mom six years ago, I wouldn't be worried about this. But And so when you, you mentioned the swimming, like you were a competitive swimmer all the way up through high school. Like you were, you were a very good swimmer that people might not necessarily know about. So how close were you to choosing that path of swimming instead of track and field? Um, honestly, I, I fell out of love with swimming before high school, but I was just too good to stop. Like it was like, I told my mom, it was like, and it was like kind of like weird how it ended up connecting. I told my mom my eighth grade year, I was like, can I not swim so that I can run indoor track this year? Cause I never did indoor track. I always did outdoor track. And because swimming is literally from September up until February. So it's impossible to do both practices. Mm. And I remember she said, okay, the deal is if you don't swim, you have to swim when you get to high school for the first year. And I was like, okay. I was like, that's cool. I, mean, I don't care. Cause my older cousin was on the swim team at our high school at Cass. So I was mm. like, that's fine. That's a good deal. And so I ironically didn't swim that year and I was 13. And that's when I got fast in track. Like that was the year that I got fast. And it was just weird. I was like, oh, okay. Well, this is why I'm like swimming no way. See? Like, but only reason why I stopped swimming was um, my mom and my dad have a rule that if I start something, I have to finish. So because I started swimming, like I'll start the swim season, I had to finish the swim season. And so I would mess around and keep going to the first practice like a dummy and keep having to do the whole season. <laughs> and my junior year was when I was like, I finished the season. I kept winning. And I was like, it's not, I was like, I'm tired. I was like, my hair is always wet. I'm always ashy. I was like, I'm tired of it. And then it just so happened that I was making like world youth teams. And I was like, you know what? I'm going to just run track because my hair is not messed up. I'm not ashy. I get to travel the world. I was like, it sounds, you know, it's, it's kind of cool. So that's the only reason that was the only like defining factor was that my hair was getting wet. That I was like, I don't want to. Swim. <laughs> I'm a girl now, like I'm a like I'm a real girl, and not a I'm not a tomboy as much as I used to be. I was like, it's time to start looking cute. I'm done. <laughs> so I didn't even. I just stopped. So when did you realize, like, when you when you finally started focusing just on track? When did you realize that, like, you could be really good in this sport? Um, when the eighth grade that indoor season. Um, we were training and so everybody on my track team is my cousin. Okay. They're not my cousins. Only like two of them are actually my cousins, but everybody's my cousin. So I beat one of my older cousins and she was, when I say beat her, I mean like she was in high school, like 11th grader and I was an eighth grader and we were running and I passed her and I was like, hold on now. That ain't supposed to happen. And I was like, oh, wait a minute. I might actually, I might be fast then. Because cause they were considered fast. Mm -hmm. So I was like, oh, maybe I'm fast. And then they start making me race boys. Like, if we're going to attract me, like, it'll be me. 
and then there'll be the group of boys and I would actually be in the mix. I might not win, but the fact that I was in the mix, I was like, mm-hmm. okay, I might be cool. <laughs> I might be it. And so I started taking it more seriously and I start actually like, you know, looking at Marion Jones and Sonya Richards Ross, my all time favorite. Then Alice and Felix. I was just like, yeah, I'm gonna do this. I like this. Now, in my last episode, I had Christian Taylor on and we were talking about um, Florida and he was talking about how he considers it jumps you or other people will say hurdles you or sprints you when we're talking about like what makes Florida so amazing. What was it for you that like, why did you decide that Florida was the right fit for you? I thought Florida was the right fit because when I came on my visit, we had Friday practices. And so there was this big grass field where it was the football field and everybody was like dying, but everybody was still kind of like, Oh, come on, Darshay, you can finish it. Come on, Ebony. Good job. And I was like, dang, y'all about to pass out. (laughs) I said, that's beautiful. I wouldn't root for nobody, but that's cute. And then kind of like, because it was between Florida, Texas A&M, and LSU. LSU, it didn't seem like the team liked each other. So I was like, oh, because that was like my dream school. I was like, Mm. they don't like each other. Now, ironically, they're the best friends of the track nation. So whatever. And Texas A&M, I absolutely love Coach Anderson. And I was like, wow, this is going to be tough. So the defining thing was, None of the girls on the other visits seemed to have that type of bonding when they were actually tired and not trying to impress us. Mm. In my mind, that's why I was like, you know, you're tired. You're not, you can't, you're four, you can't put up a front. You're tired. You're running mm. five, four, three. So if you're cheering for her, you're genuinely cheering for her because it's hot out here. And also a big difference was like, I wanted to go somewhere and create the team. I didn't want to go and just kind of like fade into the background. Mm-hmm. So although LSU and Texas A&M had really fast girls and real fast history, I didn't just want to be another person. Like when you think of women sprinters at Florida, like, you know, my name, it sticks mm-hmm. out. Like I made sure that I came here and I made some type of impact instead of just, oh, because you can't even name 12 LSU girls. Mm-hmm. Not taking away any credit from any of them because they're all spectacular, but you can't, oh, um, um, you know, like it's. Mm-hmm. You know Lolo Jones on top of your head. And you know what I'm saying? Like like now, yeah, you know more people. But it's just I always wanted to be somebody that stood out somewhere. Mm-hmm. And Absolutely. I noticing just the, the transition. Like everybody was getting better at this school. Even if you weren't already fast, you were getting better. Mm-hmm. Well, in your defense as well, since you're the collegiate record holder, everyone's going to know your name regardless. <laughs> I'm trying to hold it for at least, at least, I'm trying to be like, um, what's the guy? Oh my gosh. What's his name? Ronaldo. I'm trying to be like him and keep the record for like 40 years and then be like, oh, okay, well, good job guys. Like, I, that's what I want to be. <laughs> you know, every national, I'm holding my breath. I'm holding the chair. I'm trying to pass out. Like, <laughs> don't break it this year. You can do it next year. Not this year, please. When you were picking schools, did your mom try to sway you to LSU at all? Oh, no, she couldn't. My my dad wouldn't let her come on any of my visits with me. I went on all my visits by myself because she was. He was like, she's gonna go to LSU and she's gonna be like, oh Kyra, look at this. Oh Kyra, don't you like this? 
And so I just, she, she didn't have input. I knew she wanted me to go to LSU. So I had more of an open mind when it came to LSU, but I, she didn't have a, let's say so. It's just what I wanted to do. That's just how my parents are. Cause they, their whole thing is I have to be there, not them. So make sure that I like it for myself. That's very fair. And so when you went pro after Florida, I, I read an a artic- article that you were interviewed in not too long ago, and it was talking about, uh, or you were talking about how when you went pro, you kind of had to learn that your idols weren't your idols anymore. Like you were talking about how like mm-hmm. Allison Felix, like you can't just ask for an autograph like after the race. Like, you can, <laughs> like that, that's not, and the, your quote was, you said, I have to treat my idols as rivals. Mm-hmm. So like when, like what was that mentality switch like for you if that they were no longer like these big idols to you, but they were your competitors? Uh, it was hard. Like honestly, almost, almost until this day, like when I see Allison, I just, I get amazed when Allison knows my name. I don't know why, but it's like I, me and Allison have met several times and I'm still like, she said Kyra, you know, but it just, I don't know. It just, I had to realize that if I kept idolizing them, I was going to sub, like subconsciously just let them beat me. Like I was going to just keep letting them win. Cause I'm like, that's Allison. She's, she's supposed to win. Like, who do I think I am beating Allison? Like, excuse you. You know, so <laughs> I had to even like, even Kimberly Duncan, like I had to literally say Kyra. Okay. It's Kim, but she's not Kim. She's not yo Kim today. Okay. She, she, Lane five, like you gotta go, you gotta run. I, I mean, I had practice because I've made USA finals like for years, so I had practice. Like, okay, I gotta ignore them. I gotta ignore them. So it's it was it's hard, but you gotta keep telling yourself like, if if you keep idolizing these people, you, that's like if Beyonce was in a race with me, I let her win. <laughs> How dare I beat Beyonce? You know, so I had to. I had to check myself. I was like, you can't. I was like, cause they, cause now we're pros. We all want the same thing. Our contracts all depend on the same thing, winning. So if I let her win just cause she, who she is, like what that make me? How long did that transition to starting to think like that take you? Shoot, one round. I was like, okay, <laughs> whoa. I don't remember who. I don't remember who exactly I was in a heat with. It's, it's it's like like out of my mind right now, but I remember I was thinking about them the whole warm up. I was just like, oh my god, like okay, Whew. and then they beat me, and I was like, wait, no, no, we're done. So now I'm just like, okay, she in the race, she gonna run because I know her. I've watched all your races, you gonna run. So let me just because I don't have time. But to be losing, not because I'm not fast enough, but because I'm thinking about getting your autograph when we finish. <laughs> like, no. Now, when you talk about, like, even now, like, when you see Allison, you, you still kind of get a little excited and stuff like that. Like, mm-hmm. when did you finally start to see yourself not as, as like, oh, this is who this is that I have to race against, but, like, as an equal of, like, you know what? Like, she's running, but, like, I can go beat her. Um... Probably my, like, second year, well, 2018-ish year, like, that year is when I kind of was like, all right, relax. 
I no longer got nervous. Like if I see Sion Richards, I no longer am like, oh my God, oh my God, it's Sion. Like, I'm just kind of like, hey, you know, cause I, I, I had to make myself believe that I'm equal. I still do, like that's the mental part that we were talking about earlier. I still struggle with understanding that they're fast, but Kyra, you are too. You're no longer that like college girl. You know that, right? Like you, you fast girl. So, you know, like I'll make posts and stuff about how, you know, my insecurities or whatever may be something that I'm facing, but there's somebody out there that was like, dang, I'm in a race with Kyra. Oh my God. Mm -hmm. I have to remind myself, like, they're, I don't know who they are. I'm not saying, you know, this person is really saying that, but you know, I got to tell myself that there's somebody out there like, oh, Kyra, Kyra know how to finish. Boy, I got to run. I can't just be like, oh man, Allison is about to wop, like mop the floor with me. Oh my God. Like, I can't, I can't just only be that person. I have to also be the Allison, like, okay, I'm about to win today. Just let's go. Like, you know, I got to put that little S on my chest and, Stop being scary because I'm running against people who have medals like any given day. That's what track is any given day. Absolutely. And so and when you were talking earlier about how like you're all competing for the same thing, you all your contracts are all the same thing. Like people who might not understand like what it's like being a professional runner, like how you don't you're it's different from other sports. I guess similar to kind of swimming in a way where it's like you're not you don't sign to a team. Like track athletes, you sign to a brand or essentially a shoe company and then your contract's off of that. And then if you don't run well one year, like maybe it goes down and then you you can get prize money and stuff like that. But like, what is it like being a professional runner? I think for me, being a professional runner puts more pressure on you than any other time would because now you're no longer running for yourself. Like there's a level of running for yourself, but there's also a level of running to make sure that your sponsor still is like believing in you. Because as much as we all want to pretend, it's a business. It's not like football where if the quarterback mess up today, you know, it's still cool. Like if I mess up, that's on me. That doesn't like the blame doesn't spread between my trainer, my coach, my mom, my auntie. Like it don't spread. It's it's all on me. And so. Mm-hmm. I think like it's an adjustment to understand that that it's literally all on you now and that this is your job and you have to treat it like a job and it's no longer a hobby. It's like your real profession. And for me, it's fun. Don't get me wrong. It's fun. The potential to make millions is great, but the responsibility mm-hmm. is also a lot. And that's just, that's something they kind of don't tell you when you're becoming pro is just like, I'm pro now. I run for Nike. I run for Adidas. I run for, you know, like you just, I'm pro. You see my shirt? Like you see this uniform? Like, you know, it's kind of like that, but it's a lot of responsibility that comes with it. And I know a lot of people, myself included, it's taken some time to realize like, this is a job. This is a business. And it's, they, they might like you as a person genuinely might like you as a person, but this is still a business. And so, you know, it's just like a two sides to every, you know, little story. Like, there's the glamorous side of I can make a million dollars because I'm gonna run this race and get a bonus and you know, get a jacket. I don't know. <laughs> there's the other side. Well, you're not top five. Give me your money back. And it's like, huh? But I'm number seven. Like, that's I'm saying that because that's happened to me. <laughs> I think I was like six, and I was like, <gasps> really? Yeah. 
Like, but it's it's like you know you can't get mad at it. You can be mm-hmm. you can feel some type of way, but you can't be mad because that's the contract you signed when mm-hmm. you started. But you know, it's just you gotta realize it's your job. How do you think like the pressure on athletes compares being in individual sports like like a track and field compares to some of more of the mainstream sports like a football, basketball, baseball, that kind of stuff? I can tell like definitely the reason I think track people are stronger mentally is because we don't have scapegoats. Like in a basketball game, you can't win the game by yourself. But I can win that race by myself. I don't need your help. I don't need you to slow down for me to win. Like, you know, and so it's all our pressure is just just like you said, like you're the only person, you're the only person responsible for what happens in the race. But other sports, like team sports, you're not the only person responsible for the outcome. Like that's why relays are, people enjoy relays because I'm not responsible if we lose. Like I might've contributed to losing, but you can run faster, I don't know. Like, you know, so it's like, <laughs> that's why people with relays, you get the fastest splits, People's splits are faster in the relay than they are in the regular race because it's no pressure. You're running for other people. Mm-hmm. And if you, wherever you lack, somebody can pick up. In a race by myself, wherever I lack, I lack. And somebody's going to take advantage and beat me. Now, off the track, I know you're you're really passionate about like giving back. And you actually have your own foundation, the, the Kyra Cares Foundation. Yes. Yeah, Kyra Cares Foundation. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, so can you tell me a little bit about like what that what that is so it's a foundation to give back to the community that i'm from and other communities that kind of don't have like a i'm trying to forget the words kind of don't have a way to interact with sports and academics and bridge the gap like people think that you either have to be smart or you have to be good at athletics but you can be both and let's say you're only good at athletics for example that can still bridge a gap to get you to where you want to be. So don't let the fact that you're not that book smart or you struggle in math like I did make you feel like you can't go to Paris and go to Rome. Because never would you have ever told my 12-year-old self that I was going to be able to go to Rome, Paris, Berlin, Switzerland in the same year and not pay a dime. And so I just created the foundation to kind of bring sports camps especially for track because people kind of sleep on track up north Mm -hmm. to, you know, let people realize like there are other avenues beyond basketball and football, not saying that there's anything wrong with basketball and football. That's your thing. That's your thing. But track is a foundation sport that doing track can get you better at whatever else you want to do. Doing track could help you in school because I learned so much. I almost think I can speak French sometimes when we go <laughs> to other countries. I almost think I know something. But, you know, so it's just kind of just teaching kids, like, there are other avenues. Like, you don't have to always be book smart. You don't have to always just be an athlete. You can be both. You can be one or the other. But just don't limit your possibilities. How do you get that message across through your foundation? So when we have our track camp, um, our track clinic every year, every first November, in November, we have a Q&A session. And in the Q&A session, I make sure that parents know that they can ask any question. It doesn't matter what you want to know. And it's not just professional athletes on the panel. There's my sports psychologist. There are people who were athletes who aren't anymore. Just to get you to realize there are different, there's different paths. Mm-hmm. Like everybody doesn't go pro. 
So I have people on there who are ne- who are pro, but well, what they like to call post collegiate. You know, mm-hmm. teach you like it's there are different avenues. Like just because I'm a post collegiate doesn't mean I'm poor. Doesn't mean that I'm struggling. I'm still able to go places, and I kind of have. We're working in the works of it. My COVID kind of put a a halt on other my other projects that I was doing, but like I have scholarships that are um, gonna be posted pretty soon. I have to like tailor them now because COVID cut people going to school. So, mm-hmm. but you know, scholarships that I want you to talk to me. I want you to tell me your struggles. I want you to tell me what you're going through and how you're trying to overcome it. And I, if I can help any way, I will help you. That's really cool. That's really that's really amazing. And one thing that I believe it was an article talking about your foundation that it, it struck me kind of funny. It was when you were talking about like creating this. Uh, your quote was, "I never felt that I was that cool." Like talking about like using <laughs> using your voice and like using your brand to be able to make this change. When did you finally realize like you were that cool and you could use your brand to make this 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 impact i didn't i still don't think i'm cool <laughs> i just i watched like a will smith this when will smith first got on instagram and he started making all these posts and he was like you gotta do it scared so i just did it scared and i was like people gonna love it or people not gonna love it but i've seen millionaires start off their pages with like five followers and they like i'm gonna just keep posting one day y'all gonna bite and so i just i just put my foundation out there and like, and I just, I just started small. So I didn't do too many ventures. I just said, I'm going to have a track clinic. I hope that people come. Mm-hmm. So I made it free. And then a lot of people came. Like, I didn't expect the turnout. Like, I didn't expect people to still be walking around with the book bags that I gave out the first year. Mm-hmm. That's why I would say, I don't think I'm that cool. And people are like, oh, my God, Kyra, can I take a picture with you? And I was like, sure. Like, what? Come here. Like, because I don't think that I'm that cool. But to them, you know, I'm, I'm, oh my God, you're so amazing. You're so fast. Like, and so it just, I just kind of had to just do it. Like literally just like, that sounds cliche, but I had to just <laughs> like, just was scared. Like I didn't think people were going to come. I said, I'm going to try. If they come, cool. If they don't, we'll make it look like it's full. It's okay. My phone is the editor. Like, <laughs> it's fine. I got you. I got you. That that's awesome. Also, I, I love the little, little brand marketing plug right there. You know, just a little, just do it. You know, not not intentional. It's just it flows. So they pick <laughs> the right thing to say because it flows. Exactly. Now, outside of that and outside of track, what do you do like in the off season and in in, in your downtime? Um. Well, track is life. So, <laughs> I actually coach track for a high school team here in Gainesville. And I just left from them actually before I got here. Um, so I do that and I kind of just do like, I tried Uber, it didn't work out for me. I don't, so. Wait, pause, you were an Uber driver? I tried. I so like, fun. who's picking you up? Oh, the collegiate world record or the, the collegiate record holder, like no big deal. Yeah, but people were just like, get in the car. And I was like, yeah, I don't like Uber. I'm tired, I'm sleepy, I'm gonna go home. And so I stopped doing it. I did Uber for a week and that was the best I had. So I basically in my spare time just I watch Hulu and I watch game shows and like I'm watching the wall and match game and you know I'm just binge watching shows honestly because 
I have OCD too, so I'm either binge watching shows or I'm like reorganizing the kitchen cabinets for no reason. Like that's, <laughs> there's no in between. Like we're either <laughs> we're either reorganizing the whole house or we're watching TV. Like I don't have an in between of anything. That's fair. And one last thing before I let you go. And when I when I talk to some people about like what their expectations or what their goals are for 2021 or for the trial upcoming trials. Like some people might say like, they just want to make the Olympic team. Others want to win the Olympic trials. Others want to just final, like it's all over the board. What are your goals for the 2021 Olympic trials? My goal, and it's always been a goal is to make the Olympic team. The reason I don't say anything about a medal, because at that point, it's not in my hands. I put it in God's hands. So if God sees it fit that I have a goal, I'm going to have a goal. But what I have to do is make the team in order to keep everything that he has planned on the right track. That's my only job is make the team. Now, I get a silver, but I break the world record. I'm going to still write my name on that list. I don't care if somebody else broke it too. I'm writing my name down. You know, so. It's fair. I just kind of tell myself, make the team. You make the team. Your talent will do the rest. But if I'm worried about, if I if I jump too far ahead and I'm like, I'm going to win a gold medal and all I'm focusing on is the gold medal and I don't make the team, I'm going to be pissed off. I'm going <laughs> to be mad. So I tell myself, we're going to make the team, Kyra. By any means, we're going to make this team. Now, I win. That's the cherry on top. But I'm going to make that team because I told you, making the final is not my goal. We're going to make a final. At the trials, at the Olympics, we're going to make a final, but we're going to, we got to make the team first. Awesome. I love that. And although you're not focused on the gold so that you can have that one up over your dad, I'm hoping you, you can get that silver or gold just so, just so you have, have it over mom and dad. Let's have this conversation after I make the team and then I'll, you'll hear the different goal. Okay. All right. Perfect. We'll, we'll book it now. <laughs> Awesome. Well, thank you so much for coming on. I really appreciate it and very excited to watch you run in the upcoming year and for everything ahead of you. It's going to be great. So thank you very much. Thank you. And thank you for everyone watching. Thank you everyone for listening. Uh, if you haven't subscribed, make sure you subscribe so you don't miss any of these amazing episodes and follow us at beyond underscore the uniform on Instagram to keep up to date with everything. And don't forget, every athlete has a story. You just have to listen. I'll see you next time. This has been Beyond the Uniform with TJ Brassett. Join me again next week as another special guest joins the show.